This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. On today's program, Dr. Roosh continues to share about love. In this world of confusion about what is right and wrong, be assured of this. There is one true source for love, our Creator, God. He has made every person in His image. By following Him, we can learn of the pure, heartfelt, long-lasting power of love. Let's join Dr. Roosh right now for the message. We are faced with a seemingly paradoxical mission to love people and stand for biblical truth. And we can look at the example that Jesus gives us. You know what John says of Jesus? It says in John 1:14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The ability that Jesus had to both embody the love and the nature of God to everyone he faced without abandoning the absolute eternal truth of God's word is our example. And as we move into this message today, I want you to know the story starts somewhere. And to help us understand what's going on in the younger parts of people's stories, in the teenage, young era of a life, I'm going to ask Pastor Phil to come today. Would you give it up for Pastor Phil? He's our youth pastor. Welcome to the platform here, bro. I want to pick your brain in front of everybody today and to say, okay, you know, the world that you're leading, the youth that you're in charge of shepherding, um, they're going through a lot of different things than they were back when I was a youth pastor. You kind of live your life thinking about the next generation. You're a student of culture. You understand the influences on the next generation's life. And uh, tell me what, what, what are they encountering? What are they learning? What's, uh, what are the influences and the pressures that, that the next generation is facing regarding love and sexuality and identity and those kind of things? Man, it's, it almost seems like culture's turned up the volume. They're so impressionable. Middle school, high school, they're asking different questions. Middle school kind of begins to go on this adventure of what do I believe? It's almost like their first season of detachment from their parents' beliefs and whatever environment they've grown up in, and they're kind of discovering. And it's, you know, as a youth pastor, I get those questions like, what happened to my six, or like, this is my, my beautiful little daughter. Like, why is she saying this or acting this way? It's like, oh, no, it's just the dark side of the moon. They'll come back around. It's a season of discovery. <laughs> high school, then, it's like the discovery of what is truth what is actually true and uh, we see that social media is almost like magnified that there's always another side that it's not as good as it might mm. seem or you could do this on your own and there's all these different pressures you know uh, to follow emotions rather than the leading of the spirit or the leading uh, or just within the relationship with Jesus and we see these volumes being turned up but it's kind of exposed this tension that a lot of young people have that if we're being honest, I think there's some of us adults that have. I was homeschooled and my brothers like made me sit by myself. So that was its <laughs> own whole other issue there. So then like, Even in I welcome public education. I'm like there were so many options for me to sit. I'm like I didn't have to be excluded by my own family. That was, that was interesting. But to God be the glory, there's been healing. You made it, you accepted, you're yeah. loved, you're known. Uh, I am who he says I am. And so, but then looking at this, we can almost forget what it was like to be a middle schooler, what it, was, what it was like to be a high schooler and walking down those halls. One of the biggest temptations um, or just kind of tensions we've seen that's been exposed by all this is a young person to go, I want to be fully known mm -hmm. and I want to be fully loved. 
But if I'm fully known, can I really be fully loved? Mm. That if people really know what I wrestle with, what I struggle with, Mm. what my emotions are saying to me, can I really be fully loved? And we know the answer when it comes to studying the life of Jesus. But it's looking at that, man, how do you begin to create a safe space Mm. when it comes to conversations of sexuality, identity, and love, where students can voice just, hey, here's where I'm at. Mm. This is what I'm walking through. Because there's always that, um, that urge where like, man, I wanna make a point, like, mm. that's wrong, that's this. But we see that, so you can make that point, but you can make a difference, and usually making a difference requires listening mm. to the story. Mm. What is it that you're walking through? A set of questions that's been really helpful for us um, is looking at Dr. Um, Reggie Joyner, Virginia Ward, kind of put out some, uh, some great questions when it comes to making it personal with the next generation. And for those uh, guardians, uh, parents, uncles, aunts, grandparents, Uh, The first two questions you hopefully know, it's you know your student's name, uh, you know where they come from. The next three questions are really important. It's the, do you know what matters to me? Do you know what matters? And a lot, even when they're looking through and navigating this journey of love, sexuality, and identity, there's a lot of things that matter. Some relationships matter. Mm. Community matters. Authenticity matters. Like they can smell fake a mile away. Mm. They can smell when someone has read a book about a topic and they come asking all these questions. They're like, my guard's up. I just gotta withstand this questioning for one day and then I'm good. But they, they wanna know, do you really know what matters to me? Mm. Um, the second question that's really big as well, it's, okay, you say Jesus loves me. You say that God has this plan for me. But do you know what I've done? And do you still believe that even after you know what I've done? What mm. I've wrestled with, what I've said what I have done, like, do you still believe Jesus loves me? Do you still believe God has those plans for me? And then the third one, do what I'm capable of. Mm. And it's speaking to the potential that God has placed inside each and every young person. I think we can be prisoners of the moment. Mm. And, and Twitter has kind of turned that up a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. we almost feel like everything has to happen right now, instant, mm. streaming, all that. But, I mean, you know, on adolescent development, that takes years. And so it's planting those spiritual seeds of truth because they're going to collect spiritual interest over time. Mm. And the Holy Spirit's going to come and be that spark for change. We can't change people, and I know that's, um, you've said that multiple times, it's the, the work of the Holy Spirit. It's what Jesus is doing. Mm. And it's for us opening up those conversations and creating that capacity to have those, uh, those tough conversations, but yet pointing them back to Jesus as they're wrestling with those topics of love, sexuality, and identity. Wow. A lot of parents in our church. I don't think that God wants us to be afraid as parents. He wants us to be ahead of the curve. Um, What do you have to say advice-wise for parents? One of the things that we've seen um, kind of tensions-wise as well when it comes to uh, students just kind of even receiving some of that, it's um, reprimand without relationship will create rebellion. Reprimand without relationship creates rebellion. And um, a tough question to ask ourselves is, where is my relationship at with my, my son, my daughter, my niece, my nephew, my granddaughter, my grandson? Is it, or do I feel like we're deeper than we actually are? Do I feel like we're closer than we actually are? I mean, I have a five-year-old, and what he liked as a four-year-old has drastically changed in one year. I can't even imagine what it is then come middle school and high school that one, one year you're like, okay, I just now figured out all the artists that they're listening to in the movies, and then you go and quote it, and they give you the stare like, you are so behind the times. And you're like, I spent the last six months trying to catch up with this. But it's being that student of your students and understanding like, hey, what matters to them? We had a, a powerful story that came from one of our, our parent connect times. There was, a, you know, we just said, hey, what, what matters to your student? What does it look like to be a student of your student? 
and this parent, she, she messaged us. She goes, well, my, my son really likes this, this certain set of movies, this uh, action hero comic book movies. And, and so she said, like, I started watching these movies with him and asking questions and getting involved. And she goes, can I tell you, I've had more conversation with my son the last two weeks than I have had the last two years because I was willing to just step in to what mattered to him. Now, that's not a green light saying, hey, let's just go, right. whatever our sinful nature does. <laughs> right. like, hey, they like doing this, let's, right. let's go do it. And it's like, no, it's, there are boundaries with that, but it's understanding what matters to my young person yeah. and how do I step in? And that creates its own dialogue. That creates its own thing of going like, hey, um, is, this a, is this popular with your friends? Is it like, what do your friends think about this? What are, what are people at your school saying about this? And it begins to create that dialogue because the biggest challenge stepping out from here, because I know there'll be some parents like, well, we're gonna have a conversation today about this, but it's, it's longevity is one of the greatest weapons you have against the enemy. Mm. Longevity and consistency because what, what I've seen in middle schools and high schools on campuses, they wanna know, are you in it for the long haul? Mm. Are you in it for the long haul? Are you willing to understand what matters to me? Are you willing to go through those roller coasters of, I like this artist, now I don't like this artist. Like, I, and the parents that have signed up for all the bowl or the like basketball classes or different mm -hmm. art classes just to have their kid go, I don't like that anymore. It's going with them and saying, all right, hey, let's, let's be on this journey together mm -hmm. because there is a purpose there. There's a plan that God has. And it's even greater than this um, identity we try to label with sexuality. Mm -hmm. like it's, man, there, you are a son of God. You are a daughter of mm -hmm. God. And that identity is the one that we gotta focus on getting right. That's the one that even beyond some of the surface level stuff that we can get caught up in. Mm -hmm. And so it's looking for those moments to have those conversations about faith, asking questions, um, looking for just like, hey, I, I wanna know what matters to you. Mm -hmm. and, and beginning to call out some of that purpose that God has placed inside of them. Wow. Wow. Now, let me, let me uh, challenge you to consider some of the things that Phil is talking about. Pastor Phil invests his life, his, his time in the next generation, but he can't do it alone. And our leadership can't do it alone. Really, we're partners with parents and guardians and the community with grandparents sometimes and aunts and uncles. Wherever there is a safe place wins. Because the conversations and the questions as kids develop, they begin to develop new questions. When they're young, everything mom and dad says is right. When they move into middle school, now all of a sudden their friends are right. Peers matter more. As they move into high school and young adulthood, they begin to learn about other ideas that are out there and question some of what was taught before. Questioning does not equal abandoning. That's good. They're testing it. They're looking through and whoever will listen and be in that space throughout those seasonal changes and those questioning periods of time wins the day. Many middle school kids, they go through big time hormonal changes in middle school. If you had all that hormone change going on you right now, you would be locked up, baby. It's crazy. And then they superimpose weird ideas like I got a zit on my face and I feel awkward. I feel different. Awkward's Everyone's are, looking at me. Awkward's are like a big word, right? Well, if awkward to them means they look at their option list, nowadays there's all these options. To be different means to be gay. To be different means to be whatever. You fill in the blank. And they might not be that, but because they're trying to figure out what they are, if they go to a certain place, if they go to a safe zone at a school or a group of friends that aren't following Jesus or don't have the truth, then they get it affirmed in them and it goes into them as a truth. Yep. But if they instead have a space to process 
where they hear the, the story, the fear, the worry, the awkwardness, but they are directed lovingly and kindly to the truth of God's word, then that's what wins out. Historically, the church has not been a safe place to talk through our questions. And that is one of our big blind spots that we inherit. People, the people that are, are talking about it don't always have the truth. And in the church, you're either right or you're wrong. But that's not what the next generation no. wants. They're wanting to look, like, where do I belong? Mm. And as you were alluding to, historically, what they have seen, it's like, like the Capital C Church is almost like that, um, that holiday meal that everyone mm. has that one family member that you're like, you're, you're like gearing up that they're going to come. They're going to yeah. say something ridiculous. Mm. They might cause drama. And like some of you are, I already see smirking out here. They're like, I can think of that one family member mm. come Thanksgiving and Christmas. I, you're like, if they don't come, that's not the worst. <laughs> and we've almost had that though sometimes in the Capital C Church where there have been people that have spoken out that have not accurately reflected the love and heart of God when it comes to people and young people are looking where do I belong because traditionally what they have seen whether for right or wrong what they have seen is I have to behave I have to believe before I belong and what they're finding in the buffet of the voices that are they're coming after me is you can belong without even believing and without even behaving mm. the way you have to and so instantly they go, and I can belong with all my zits, all, my, all these things. I can go in and I can belong off the bat. What would it look like if the church was the safest place to ask the biggest questions? Mm. What would it look like if our homes uh, were the safest place to wrestle with the toughest cultural issues, cultural questions? I mean, what, what kind of safety does that begin to communicate for those looking for hope mm. in today's day and age? Give it up for Pastor Phil. I want you to know that it may seem impossible to follow both truth and love and express it to the world around us today, but I want you to know with God, everything is possible. Everything is possible. Love will be tested. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and as he sat down and taught them, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And they were trying to trap him into saying something, they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. We'll go on with the story in a moment, but I want you to catch that Jesus was being set up. Literally, they were trying to set him up. In the previous chapter of John chapter seven, the crowds had begun to follow Jesus and his notoriety went up and he became a threat to the people that thought they had control of the world around. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the, and as they watched what was going on, the people were leaving the, their influence and following Jesus, so they plotted to kill him. And so they were out to get Jesus. By the time we get to chapter 8 and the story we're beginning to read, now they've set him up with a story. They've brought an adulterous woman, which means that she slept with somebody other than what her husband was, and they brought her into a circle and they were going to uh, stone her. But here's the thing. They were trying to set Jesus up. They wanted to catch him. And it's a lot like the culture today. In society, people are like, 
they want to bait you with the wrong question, and they want to use portions of the Bible, potentially, to back up something and to catch you. Well, do you believe that God loves everybody? Well, if he loves everybody, why, why can't we just do whatever we want? We just, he loves everybody anyway. And it's much like what we experience today. And I want you to see in Jesus an example of how to walk through things when you're facing a test and trying to be set up. And they bring this woman to Jesus and they're going to stone her. Now, this stoning doesn't mean that they're going to get her high, okay? But it's basically the punishment for a sin from the Old Testament, the law of the Old Testament. And they would take a stone. And they would take many stones. And a group, a crowd of people would pick them up. And she'd be in the middle. And they would throw the stones at her, beating her head in and hurting and wounding her. And if you take hundreds of stones all in there, eventually it would kill her. So they were literally pronouncing a death sentence on this woman for what the Bible said she was guilty of. And this was the natural consequence of her sin. But what's terrible about this is they did not care, the people that were picking up the stones, they did not care about the woman. They were using her. Says they put her in front of the crowd. They set her up too. It wasn't just Jesus being set up. It was this woman being set up as well. The Pharisees were using her brokenness as a pawn in their game to trap Jesus. And the goal was to catch Jesus. If he stops the punishment, he's denied the word of God. And if he doesn't stop it, he loses his reputation as loving everyone. And it kind of sounds like the modern dilemma for Christians. If you say you believe in the Bible and the realities of truth, then you are automatically considered a bigot or an angry religious person. And Jesus then shows grace and truth to this woman, and it's powerful. And really, he says it shows it to three different audiences. I just want to talk about three audiences that Jesus displays grace and truth to. The first one is this, the religious leaders which I've called the spiritual insiders. These are the ones that had picked up the stones, incited the crowd, set up this moment. And Jesus confronts them in a sense in this. They're trying to confront him, but I want you to know Jesus' pattern while he was on the earth was to confront this very group of people. In fact, when Jesus told the story of the prodigal son from Luke 15 that we talked about two weeks ago, When Jesus was telling the story of a son that took his inheritance and left his father and went out and squandered all of his money and lived a bad life and then came home to the father, we love to focus uh, on the beautiful picture of how, how loving the father is and how he accepts people home. But Jesus was actually telling that story to confront another group of people in the crowd. And that was the, the person in the story, the older brother. Because the older brother was upset that the son came home. The older brother was upset that justice wasn't done. The older brother was upset that the father gave away and allowed that son to come back home. In a sense, Jesus was saying to the religious insiders, the insiders of church, the people that have been around the religious world, he was essentially calling them out because they did not reflect the heart of the father. This group of people that now picked up the stones and were ready to throw it did not reflect the heart of the Father. And Jesus hears the noise of the moment, and instead of engaging in the argument, 
he stoops down into the dust and he begins to write something. The same finger is the finger of God. Think about this. He is the word of God. And he begins to write something in the dust. We don't know what he wrote. But as he's writing, he begins to uh, formulate his response, I would guess. Look at verse 7. It says, they kept demanding an answer. And he stood up and he said, all right. But let the one who has never sinned, throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. You notice what Jesus is doing? The whole spotlight of the whole scene is on the woman in the middle of a circle about to be stoned. And right in that moment, Jesus shifts the attention away from the woman and puts it back on the people who are accusing her. And I would say this, all of us need to be careful in the discourse and the conversation about sexuality and love and identity that is raging in our culture. That many times we put our attention on the person that did something wrong and we're not looking at ourselves. And Jesus shifts the attention back to the insiders and he in a sense says, look at yourself. You got some stuff going on in your own heart. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Not just some of us, not just a few of us, but every single person has sinned and fallen short. And Jesus is speaking the truth. The truth is that every person in the crowd deserved to be stoned except for Jesus. Except for Jesus. Now I want you to notice in here that as he talks, something else is going on in their minds. Because he goes back down and he's writing things down. There's been many people that have speculated on what did Jesus write in the sand, in the dirt? I don't know, some people say he was writing the name of the mistresses of every guy that had a stone. Maybe he was writing things about them that nobody knew. But sure enough, he didn't have to say it because they already knew it. Oftentimes we cloak our own sin when we're judging someone else. We love to point the finger at something, but we got three coming back at us. And we cover up those things, and Jesus shows that everybody deserved to be stoned except for him, and he pointed the finger back at them in a sense. Verse nine, it says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. This is interesting. One by one, beginning with the oldest. A little commentary here, and it's in the scripture, it started with the oldest. There's something about people that the older we get, the more we know who we really are. We recognize our own faults. How many, like me, you've messed up a lot? And the older you get, hopefully the more mature you get, the more you realize, you know what? 
I want to recognize I'm the first of sinners. Paul said it, I'm the most sinful of anybody. And he owned it. And I think there's something powerful when the older, mature part of the world, and especially on the inside group of the church world, when we don't act like we've got it all together, but we're ready to recognize our own sin, that a special grace is released from us to the people around us that need to find hope in us. When we cover it up, we can't help anybody. But when we drop our stones and we drop our rocks, instead of giving that person a rock, we can give them relief. Jesus was speaking the truth that every person in the crowd deserved to be stoned except for him. He then shows grace and truth to the second audience. Let's shift the spotlight to a different part of the audience, the accused. This woman who was caught. Verse 10, then Jesus stood up and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus lifts her eyes to a cool miracle. She deserved to die according to the law, but the people that would enact the punishment weren't even there anymore. And as he steps into the, he didn't go with the crowd, he went towards the woman. And as he did, Jesus doesn't stop and give her a lecture about everything that she had done wrong. She already knew what she had done wrong. Jesus' style of speaking truth is always, always, always transformational. I want you to remember this. When Jesus would speak the truth, it was not to wipe somebody out or to curse somebody or to hurt or end a person's life. It was always transformational. If he was confronting it, it was to draw them to a different future. When you hear the truth, it's like the surgery knife that goes in us. It's not there to hurt us, it's there to help us. Some of you might have an image of Jesus or of God or of the church that is there to beat you over the head every time that you do something wrong. I'm simply telling you that's not the picture of Jesus. When Jesus speaks, he may say, yes, your sin is killing you, but I have a different picture of what could be in your future. When you follow my way, can I get an amen to that? So where is this action of truth leading? What is Jesus leading toward? Is it toward hope? Is it towards the new? Or is it a condemnation of the past with no hope? 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says that love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. You can learn more about the various ministries that Emmanuel offers and see Sunday services live every week. Check out emmanuelcc.org for details. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.